Welcome to the Zero Hour by Safeguard Cyber. I'm George Kamidi. I'm Ashley Stone. And this week's guest is Yasmin Saeed. Uh, Yasmin and I met at um, the London show in March. Um, she's super interesting. She works in recruiting. She's actually just changed jobs, but everything that she has to say still holds water. Um, she has a very interesting perspective on recruiting and trying to address the cybersecurity skills shortage, mainly that by the time people uh, employ her as a recruiter, that they haven't yet thought through how to integrate those skills into uh, the overall process um, and organization of their company. So she's got some good tips for executives on looking for skill sets and some of the questions that you should be asking before you go to a recruiting firm. Um, so without further ado, here's Yasmin. Hello, Yasmin speaking. Hello, Yasmin. It's George. How are you? Hey, George. I'm very well. How are you doing? All right. Thank you for taking the time. No problem. Happy to uh, take the call and have a conversation. Yeah. Um, so, good to talk to you again. I know we talked yeah. in London in March. Um, let's start with a little bit of background. Um, can yeah. you tell us uh, what you're currently working on and um, maybe we'll get into a little bit about how you got there yeah so at the moment so i basically head up um a cyber and information security sector for a london-based uh, recruitment agency um along with that they are also a consultancy that focus around um gdpr and, and other areas really around compliance um so at the moment i work with a whole host of, of companies, basically. Um, it can be consultancies, uh, resellers. A lot of time I work with end clients, a number of CISOs directly, uh, which can either be around digital transformations, people just really trying to upskill their team. Uh, really does range on a on a company basis, um, basically. So a lot of the work that I do is... It, it's based around recruitment, but it's uh, also uh, an awful lot more than that. So if there's a particular skill set that they're looking for, if they have a, an issue and they're looking for a first responder for an incident, or even if it's someone to upskill their team, or I'd probably say a specialist or SME within a, a specific vendor or piece of software. So we work with these and, and teams around yeah, the full end-to-end -end process around their team as a whole. Oh, that's very interesting. That's way more involved than <laughs> I than I had given recruiting credit for. <laughs> not, uh, not all recruiters do that, though. So uh, we'll, we'll see. All right. Well, can you tell us how you got into uh, into this line of work into recruiting? Uh, by a complete accident, um, being completely honest. So I'm now just heading into my fourth year of recruitment. Um, and it was just recommended to me by a friend, really, that was on a gap year from, from university. Um, they were doing a, a law degree, and they somehow fell into technology. And technology, I'd probably say, has always been a part of everything that I've done. And it's just made, made sense to, to be more involved, really. Um, I think there's only, I think technology is probably one of the only guarantees in our lifetime at the moment. So 
actually, yeah, really wanted to, to be a part of that. And since I joined, I haven't been able to leave. Absolutely. Um, is there anything that you have learned with respect to being focused on information security? Yeah, I'd probably say it's, it's made me more aware in, in my personal life. I've started to look at, at technology and just life in general and information and data in a completely different light. Probably didn't understand the power around data and information as much as I do now. So it's really just opened my eyes and really allowed me to educate myself and I'd probably say everyone around me. Good. Yeah, well, that's that's a net benefit, I would think. Um, one of the things that we really run up against is education mm. ver- with information security professionals, but also how do we extend the knowledge that we as an industry have to the general public, which is the you know the bulk user of all of these products? Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. So you had mentioned that digital transformation, which stuck out um, mm-hmm. because. It can be a squishy term, which I think is <laughs> anathema to most in information security and in some other business processes. But it, it is something that's that can't be ignored. We, we're seeing it with our clients. We see it when we go to these conferences, the likes of which uh, where I met you, is that despite the phrase being rather ambiguous, it, it does seem to be uh, a focus for a lot of companies. So when you said that you were you might be called upon by a CISO to work with them to help bring in people to facilitate digital transformation. Could you talk a little bit more about what that means? Yeah. So obviously from, from my perspective, when we're dealing with a lot of clients, a lot of the, a lot of what they're doing is very sensitive information as it's with mm-hmm. anything to do with security, basically. So there's certain areas that, that, me personally, that I'm allowed to know. So there's a couple of core things that I look at personally before working with a CISO. And really, it tends to be um, what it is that they're actually trying to achieve. Um, it's good to know some of the, the whys, but I try to focus on the hows, which is what allows me to, to work with them from a staffing perspective and also try to offer more of a consultative approach in terms of market intel, what other people are doing, what's worked, what happened, uh, what, ultimately what's gone wrong. So they can try and not really make the, the same mistake. So, yeah, I, I try to get involved as much as possible in terms of the, the context of the technology that they're using and what it is that they're ultimately trying to achieve. Um, so, for instance, a CISO would tell me, right, they're implementing a new piece of technology. It's It's going to implement or change the way that the whole business runs their financials. They could be using a new a new payment method, a new payment system, a new financing product, or they could be transforming how they're attacking their data, how mm-hmm. they're using it, and, and what ultimately that they will be sort of doing with it. So it's down to me to really understand the, the ins and outs of the project, probably to a low level technical perspective i'm not quite i'm not quite technical myself but uh, to understand it at least that level so i'll then be able to give the correct amount of information to the other people that will be working on that project alongside them 
term to find the right people to ensure that they have a similar way of thinking or sometimes someone that has been involved in something similar before and even if they don't have a similar way of thinking uh, but still just introducing them to each other because that will show some form of diversity within the project okay Great. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. That's good. It's focused on the how and the why rather than just the, the mere what, which I think yeah. there's an overabundance of what. Um, yeah, exactly. So there's been a lot of news in the InfoSec press, both here and on your side of the Atlantic, about the massive skills shortage in cybersecurity mm-hmm. as a whole. Uh, we have seen articles around just the hard numbers, you know, the anticipated Mm. number of jobs versus the anticipated number of people with the skills. I saw an article also the other day that played out kind of a nightmare scenario where companies may be in such need of, quote unquote, a cybersecurity specialist that they'll put Mm -hmm. the ad out and essentially to fill the role, they may say, you know, no experience required. <laughs> they may be looking to fill entry-level positions, but I think maybe because it's a box they need to tick, but, you know, with a hard skill shortage, is, you know, the challenge is how do you fill that? So um, have you seen with your clients uh, this kind of dire need in terms of the skill shortage? Like there just aren't people who have either the experience or the know-how? All day, every day. George of my working career, <laughs> I would say. I mean, we're in an industry that's forever evolving, so it's very difficult to try and stay ahead of ahead of the times and and really ahead of the trend. Um, as long as technology is evolving, a lot of times when when people are in a role, it's also hard for them to to keep updated if they're not hands on mm-hmm. with this particular piece of technology. Um, and nine times out of ten. If I'm receiving a call from a CISO or a hiring manager, it's because they want somebody yesterday. So time is never on our side to begin with. Um, And I think that's where, as as a recruiter, that's where my role really is there there to step in. Um, As much as I'm there to provide qualified CVs, I'm also there to to provide education. So that's probably half of my current day job educating the, the client or the hiring manager on what's out there and, and what's not. Also, a lot of managers, they'll be so fixated on a particular piece of technology or they must have this, you know, it's like a, a checklist. Right. Half, half of the time, it's a, <laughs> I'd always refer it to a child's wish list to Fanta a couple of days before Christmas Eve. And you know, realistically, it's not always going to happen. So with a lot of work that I have to do, it's, in, it's reading between the lines. It's creating a pipeline of candidates and a network of people that, you know, on paper may not look like this checklist, but in reality, they have the drive, they have the knowledge, they have a certain amount of commercial experience that is completely transferable, that I believe will be a good match for the business. Obviously, it's... It, it, it is very difficult to, to try and find someone with with the right amount of basics that they're looking for. But those people are out there. Um, a lot of the reason why people can't find them is because the recruitment process is broke. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that especially in technology, tech in general, it may be easy to 
build out a, a checklist of the things you want in terms of like named technologies. You need to be certified mm. in this and that um, without focusing more on the aptitude or the experience. It's been my experience uh, working like you in tech for most of my life, whether touching it tangentially or mm. uh, more directly that, yes. <clears throat> for example, if if you worked in um, with Photoshop, for example, and then somebody said, well, you actually need to be more versed in this other video uh, editing software. It's not like you're coming from scratch, right? Like if you have yeah. experience in one particular type of software or technology, you, you can probably learn your way through, um, through the new piece of technology. So it's really about like the strong foundation and yeah. the general aptitude. Well, well, that's it, especially if you're dealing within one specific sector, and everyone really does try to be an SME within their required and, and desired field, that a lot of the, you know, different versions or different vendor providers, they're not a million miles away from each other. Mm -hmm. So, especially with, with the right person, um, there's a lot of people out there that are very quick learners, you know, that eat, breathe, and, and sleep security and and play around with different tools in their spare time that they would have touched it within a home lab, but maybe not so much within a, a commercial environment. So it's overlooking those sorts of people that then these companies start to struggle. I would probably say once it gets to the point where a, a role has come to me nine times out of ten, it is too late. You know, by that point, everyone else is also at market, and that's when... Mm -hmm you know, the skills gap just starts to continuously widen. Right, and very difficult to anticipate the needs if you're if you're stuck in this kind of forest for the trees issue, right? Yeah. If you're if you're stuck on the the particular skill set, the you know, the named software, you may not anticipate the larger uh, strategic need that you will require given the mm. entire business objective for, you know, let's say next fiscal year or, or whatever. And security is all about, you know, strategic thinking. That's what everyone's trying to do, trying to, you know, not think of the initial in the box, what are our immediate threats? It's, it's usually the threats that you don't encounter or that you don't initially think of, which tend to cause more of an issue. They tend to have the bigger risk to the business. So, yeah, considering I think cybersecurity as a whole needs to be, strategic in every way possible i think recruiting and, and building out a team needs to be attacked a similar way yes and i think in the course of your conversation with uh cso's or other clients mm. have you been able to provide something of i don't want to say competitive intelligence but it's the idea <laughs> that like hey i hear that you want this a particular skill set or this particular position filled, but I want to let you know that a lot of your peers are also looking at this type of talent or this type of position. Is that something that comes up in conversation? They they may be so focused on, you know, whatever their uh, supervisor has asked them to provide in the short term yeah. that, but you may have a, a a view of the longer term across a particular industry. Yeah, well, that's probably again something on on a daily basis that 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 I deal with. Um, just for example, at the moment, privilege and identity access management is, is a huge huge market for us. It's really growing a lot of people looking at 
multiple factor authentication. Mm-hmm. So privilege and identity access management is, is booming for us at the moment. Um, Pam in particular, for, for me, that's a, a huge market that I'm involved with, with both end clients and consultants. With that, there's a couple of market leaders, um, which if someone's going to be bought on as an SME in that product, they need to have the hands-on experience. You know, there's no getting around it. And that's when I need to, you know, become that <laughs> real in-depth head. sorts of people but there's also other technologies which aren't a million miles away and I can go to a, a consultancy and advise them that there are 50 other consultatives exactly like you looking for this one tool set mm-hmm. as well as the end client that you're going on site to implement this technology for so instead of you now becoming three or four months behind and not actually being able to service your client here's someone that has a a little bit amount of experience with that particular technology. However, they have five years' experience with a direct competitor within the privilege access management industry. So, you know, instead of having this issue um, and waiting and, and consistently staying behind and behind your competitors and behind the client's wants, have a look at this person. Um, with a lot of what what I do, it's it involves talking to people pretty much 24-7. So knowing these candidates inside out and believing what they are capable of doing, which allows me to then provide that to the client and say, I know they're, they're not as well-versed as this particular technology that you're after, but the way they've spoken about other vendors within time, you know, is, is really strong. They have these certifications. I really don't think you should miss out on speaking to this person. So... Luckily enough, we work with, um, as a business, and, and me, myself, particularly, I work with a lot of understanding clients that I've built up a good relationship with. So if they know I'm vouching for a candidate that doesn't necessarily look like exactly the thing that they're looking for, mm-hmm. there's a reason why I'm saying to them, you know, give them a chance. You should really speak to them. So, yeah, it, it, it works quite often, um, <laughs> which is good. Good. Yeah. And then, so let, let me turn my attention to the other side of this mm-hmm. equation or, uh, if to mix metaphors, the, the well from which you're drawing, um, do you see a lot of people either in entering the job market or trying to change careers? You know, they may have been in one part of technology or they may not have been in technology at all, but they've gone back to school for information security or IT skills because they see that that's where the, the hotter job market is. What is what does that end of the process look like? Yes, I mean, there definitely, definitely is. I have a friend, actually, that I started out in recruitment with, and she went back to university, got her degree in computer science and forensics, and now is about eight months into her commercial pen testing career. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's the ball is in uh, their court. To use American sports metaphor, is that they kind of have um, mm. their their pick of careers because um, mm. if you come to the, the market with that skill set, then you you just have a lot of options. Yeah, I, I mean, I said each client is is very different, and the thing about security is. It's it's very much a, a candidate-driven market. So anyone that has the passion, the desire to really have a long-standing career will do well. It's either that being handed that first initial chance, um, 
there's so many different areas that that you can look at, but there's a lot of very transferable skills. There's either people that have come from more of a compliance and regulatory background that mm-hmm. have that very calculated thinking, which can then be transferable to technology. I think, and my clients are, a lot of the time actually agree that you can always teach someone technology. You can't teach someone, you know, the softer skills, which are so difficult to find. Yes, agreed. Yes, I think I, uh, in a past life working in uh, retail, for example, mm. they would say, you know, you can learn about these products, you can learn how to market the products, but I, I can't teach you how to talk to people, right? Or, or I don't have the time to teach you how to like present ideas. If, if you have yeah. those skill sets, then the rest is, um, you know, you're just plugging in uh, one set of information for another. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've sat down with multiple um, technical consultants and they've shown me what they've done and my mind has been blown. Um, right. So I it's not easy um, to be to be taught. But if an organisation, if, if both the organisation and the candidate agree that, you know, it is a long-term process, it's a, it's a math and not a sprint, right? Then, then they will continue to go on and do well. Yeah. Um, for... In your experience, have you seen a shift um, in, what do I want to say here, in industry needs? So, for example, I think cybersecurity, information security is broadly applicable and understood to apply to industries like financial services, life sciences, where there's a lot of IP industry. But I was curious if you've seen a shift in, for example, maybe more retailers or more CPG brands, anything that doesn't kind of typically smack of cybersecurity, if there's now a new awareness at, uh, at the industry level um, that, well, they, in- that they need these, these individuals inside their companies? Yeah, so I think the market has, has shifted. Now, I've worked in a, a mixture of technologies. When I first started out, I was dealing with more core infrastructure and data center and really sort of, you know, the back-end IT and technology of a business. When that was concerned, it was everybody wanted to work for a financial organization. They seemed to be investing into their technology. You know, they, they had the financial behind them. They could pay the salary that was needed. When it comes to cybersecurity industry now, they are, the financial services industry is probably one of the less desired from a candidate's perspective. They feel bound by processes and procedures and things to be pigeonholed with certain technologies and what they can and can't do. So a lot of people now try and focus for either the online retail industry um, if it comes from an instant response perspective or a pen testing perspective, mm-hmm. you know, they they really have involved with the web application side of everything. And I said, paint and gateways are, are absolutely huge at the moment. Um, or we have people that, whereas before, let's say, the infrastructure and, and core backend technology side wouldn't want to be working for a public sector in the UK with a lot of old legacy equipment. Whereas now, um, the emphasis on around information security is the the governance and the regulatory side of the data that these public sector organisations are are holding and what they're doing with it that people want to be involved. Um, And do you think that's largely driven by GDPR? Yeah, but I think by by GDPR, which has basically given a lot of people kick up the backside. Mm -hmm. Um, Not everyone, 
<laughs> don't get me wrong I see, I, I see a lot of mistakes frequently um, but it's made a lot of these organisations more aware you know it's Whereas before, it was just a, a small fine and people didn't think that they would be essentially breaking the law. Now they've realised, right, if we have a breach, this could be detrimental to our business, you know. Depending on the level, they could either lose customers, um, the fine itself, to cripple them financially. It could be something that could be bad press for them. Uh, anything which could lead to a business going into administration because they're not taking their security and their data seriously. Um and I think a lot of people want to be involved in something interesting. <laughs> Sometimes it comes down to something as, as simple as that. If it's something that either affects your personal life, like working for a public sector organisation that you live past daily or has something to do with your everyday life, people want to be involved in that to ensure that they are safe and the people around them and what they're doing ultimately matters in the larger scale and bigger picture of it all. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's just wanting to, you know, be intrinsically motivated or, or, or work in something that you believe in, which is great for all of us on the other side as customers. <laughs> yeah, on the other side as a business leader, not so much when you have a lot to be done with no time and no resources, right. ultimately. Um, great. Well, actually, let's talk about resources. Have you seen uh, with you know, 2018 kind of being the, basically felt like the year of the data breach, at least in the U.S., we couldn't go more than two weeks without some major and massive breach. In the, in an the, interesting reading for me on this side of the pond, George. That's Delphi. right. And in in, we're talking, it's not small, it's millions of records um, yeah. all at once. And I think the arguments that we just don't have the money for it now ring quite mm. hollow because if you have these breaches that basically endanger the entire business, um, what what else should you be spending your money on? So I was wondering <laughs> if you have seen in the course of your time there uh, a shift in resources. In other words, people who, who told you, well, I can only afford to hire one if they are now coming to you with, oh, I've been able to get more budget for this so I could actually use, you know, three more SMEs or analysts or whatever the title may be. Have you have yeah. you had those conversations where you can see a trend toward more resource allocation? Um, I can in some and not in others. There's been, for instance, there's a couple of organizations here in the UK that have had quite... <laughs> widely publicised breaches that I see are constantly trying to hire. These are companies that I haven't had the opportunity to be involved in and ask the question of, right, are they hiring the wrong people or is it just because they, they do have such a bad image that they're not able to hire anyone? Nobody wants to have their name up against that. Mm -hmm. There's also probably the startup industry. Um, I do a lot of work with Maybe companies that are already set up in, in essentially the US or maybe have been around, you know, five, ten, sometimes twelve years, but then want to branch out into the UK and into Europe. And they're willing to put whatever they need to into the right resources. Um, they're looking to pay well, offer the right benefits, they're working on something interesting, they're being able to attract some of the top talent on the market. And then some organisations based here in London that are widely known don't have a, a bad reputation, um, should really emphasise more on their security, but they don't. It's, I mean, 
I'm often quite shocked when I speak to, to candidates and people in my network. When I go to learn about their business, if some huge organisations here in the UK, they could be a global financial services, a, a bank, an insurance company that has a very small security team and I think no security presence. <laughs> Um, right. You should realise that they should. Um, so yeah, it's it's not really industry or, or sector sort of driven. I've seen both sides, um, companies that have been breached and, and not. And yeah, it's it's hard for me to probably pinpoint an opinion. Um, the <laughs> analytics of it all are completely all over the place right now. Interesting. Yeah, so <laughs> quite a wishy-washy answer, but it, there's just so much happening and consistent change. The certain organisations that either have funding or have the financials behind them, the first two things they invest in will be technology and people. That's always what I would, you know, I would recommend as, as a senior leader within a business that is usually, you know, going to push you further and make you better as an organisation. There's other businesses that just want to focus on their profit and their revenue and aren't thinking about their technology and their people, which is a very old school way of thinking, which needs to be changed. Yeah, I mean, in this day and age, your technology is pretty much inextricably linked to sales mm. and revenue. Um, yeah. I mean, they say that revenue will always trump security, but I mean, if the security lapses, then you may have no revenue to speak of. Um, exactly. But try saying that to a CISO on a Friday afternoon. Sometimes it doesn't go down very well. <laughs> right. Um, you're just as much a diplomat as you are a, a recruiter. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, circle back to the to your process here. So yeah. you mentioned that often when it comes uh, across your desk by then it sort of feels too late, right? They needed the position filled yesterday. Um, mm -hmm. They haven't thought uh, long-term or they haven't had insight into the long-term strategy. They just, you know, sort of got an edict that was like, go out and find these people. Here are the open wrecks. Um, mm -hmm. If you had your druthers, what is the ideal process um, that you would like CISOs or security professionals in general to follow when it, comes to talent acquisition and and this can be i don't mean brass tax process but mm. like what do you think the thinking should be like uh when it comes to uh we need people rather than we need people yesterday yeah i think it's because people think of an entire strategy first you know have it signed off or uh, go to the financial director and he'll say right okay go ahead and then they'll go to market you know, you need to be proactive um, and I need to start looking for those those passive rather than active candidates. Mm -hmm. They're going to be the people that they want. Um, and I think recruitment is also a yesterday thinking for a lot of people. It's the last thing they think about, which I think should be included in the whole process. You know, these are the people that are bringing whatever you want to see come to light. Um, I mean, when I do a lot of work with, with consultancies, they work on a number of bids and based around a particular resource or person that I've introduced them to or a candidate that I've mentioned to them, and they're able to design something around having this right person. Whereas a lot of organisations, as I said, they'll have a strategy signed off 
it comes to the point of right time ticking day one we've kicked off oh wait we don't have the right amount of people or (laughs) we need to start in a week's time you know Yasmin what's what's the market like right now um which (laughs) is fine because we do have a, a good interim market here in in London but by that point everyone else is doing the same thing like I said you're now too late right you know it's it's a typical market where organizations change their technology strategy from you know we have it in-house let's outsource it to a consultancy let's offshore it and then on an 18 to 24 month cycle it's then brought back in-house well by the time that's all signed off they then need a full a full resource team to be able to do that, whereas they're no longer available because all other 300,000 businesses in around London that was in the similar market are doing the same thing. So I think, you know, resources and, and staff and having senior leaders and architects and engineers that are going to bring your vision to life need to be considered throughout the whole process. And that means working with a recruiter throughout that process as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Yes, if if you, let's say you sat down at a board meeting and the year next year's strategy is all sussed out, you're saying that at that point, this at the same level of discussion that you might be talking about what technology is needed to pull this off, mm. you should have started to involve your talent acquisition people and or outside recruiters such as yourself to also mm. ask the question, what talent do we need to pull it off? Yeah, because if you're thinking about what, you need to start thinking about the house, right? Yeah. So so with that, I mean, it doesn't have to be all guns blazing at that point, but that's how a recruiter can build a talent pipeline on behalf of the business. And also, there's a lot of strategic thinking with people that are either coming to the end of, of their current contract that you know will be in the market in three months' time. Um, that could, you know, fit in perfectly with this organisation with what they want to kick off in the next three months. So, yeah, I think there has to be a level of thinking about the hows and the who's, you know, the minute that you've, you've pinned down exactly what you want to do. Brilliant. Okay. Well, uh, Yasmin, it was lovely talking with you. Thank you again <laughs> for taking the time. I think I, I said it would take 20 minutes and we've taken almost 40 um, so thank, <laughs> thank you very you much. Thank you for listening to me, Brent. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about it all day. <laughs> um, good. Well, uh, thank you very much, and we will be in touch. And uh, thanks again. All right. My thanks to Yasmin. Um, so at the time of recording, there aren't any hard-hitting headlines uh, as of yet, but an issue that has come up repeatedly in the last few weeks and one that we are watching very closely is that of deep fakes. Yes, it's everywhere, and it's all over the news because it's a problem that isn't currently solvable with automation. Yeah, and our home state here of Virginia has just incorporated it into legislation that was addressing revenge porn. So they uh, wrapped in some new text language to cover deep fakes. And then just last week, uh, we also had stories out about deep text or artificially rendered text. So we've seen a little bit of that at the outset with customer service chatbots, but this is fully... AI generated text that can basically learn off of one person's uh, sentence writing. So they could take what you wrote and then basically 
learn how to write like you. So there's another impersonation problem there. Sounds like it could be used for good, but also some nefarious activities. Yeah, I mean, we're in a very hard spot here. We are only just now coming around to this idea of possibly regulating social media and kind of understanding the nefarious implications of technology that we've taken for granted since 2005. So we're behind the curve on that, and now we have this new, even more powerful technology coming up, and we haven't even gotten a handle on the last bit of technology that we've been using. So um, we continue to to struggle with the ethics after the fact. Look forward to keep following where it's going to take us next. All right. As ever, uh, that wraps up this edition of The Zero Hour by Safeguard Cyber. My thanks to Abby Bruce for sound design, Matias Cefaletti for our theme music. If you like what you've heard, give us a subscribe, a rating. Feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, stay safe.